0: Good afternoon. It's Wednesday the 18th of November 2020 just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today Mike Robinson, myself Brian Gerrish and we're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson uh, bringing us his e- Eastern Nick Approaches. Approaches. Thank you. Eastern approaches from the Netherlands. Serious events unfolding in uh, Europe. And uh, we're going to just have a look at a photo from Berlin. Well, yes, because there's
1: been protests today, uh, they're still going on. Uh, as usual, the only uh, sort of mainstream coverage of this can be found on those nasty Russian propagandists, uh, Russia Today, on, on their Rubley. Facebook page and other places, uh, but uh, live demonstration is going on. Uh, people gathered because uh, the German government is or the German parliament is voting on uh, the latest the latest uh, legislation, which uh, I think is translated to Protection Against Infection Act, um, and this is a, the German equivalent of the emergency legislation in the UK, I suppose. Uh, special protective measures to combat the SARS CoV two coronavirus, uh, and uh, they're talking about. Uh, The number of people that can meet in private and public spaces, the obligation to wear uh, face covering, uh, travel restrictions, restrictions on businesses, uh, other commercial bans. So thousands of people out on the streets. Apparently there was a counter demonstration as well. Uh, But uh, if anybody's been watching the video this morning, uh, it's pretty clear that the police have been uh, their usual friendly selves and have been kicking people to the ground, uh, sitting on their heads, uh, spraying them with pepper spray and the usual uh, types of tactics.
0: Uh, yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. We're going to be commenting about um, police behaviour in just a moment, but I think there were restrictions coming in on photographs.
1: Uh, yes, Alex, uh, but not in Germany, uh, in France. So if we uh, if we head over to this... Uh, Slide from Le Persien, so the French Parliament uh, arguing that really you need to be paying up to, what's that, 45,000 euros uh, if you take a photograph of a policeman while he is uh, performing his riotous duty.
2: Expensive souvenir snaps in Paris there, Mike. Uh, On the right-hand side, the rather telling slogan, qui nous protège de la police, is who is going to protect us from the police. The old question of who will guard the guards themselves. Quis custodet ipset ipsos custodes, asked by the Romans, and uh, the French state has, got long, along with most modern states, assumed that its functionaries are beyond reproach and will always act in that nebulous thing, the public interest. Um, here, while I'm on screen, by the way, is the latest footage of the same police unit in Berlin that you had on screen a moment ago, the BE-1. Uh, Just as of half an hour ago, they are spraying the crowds with water cannon. Uh, The protest up on screen that was being held up in the photograph you showed from Berlin, by the way, says peace treaty now. So people are becoming aware that there is a lot of constitutional shenanigans going on behind the scene. If we look again at the French uh, item here, by the way, is the, uh, the draft legislation. Uh, which I've printed out. It's mostly about, as is usual, other matters like uh, regulation of the private security industry. Uh, but uh, if we, I think with the second slide, um it describes in more detail the relevant part of the law, the proposition de loi, the draft bill going through the French Assembly, uh, says that you will be fined in the lower caption there 45,000 uh, euros. Uh, that's the upper caption, sorry. And the lower one sets uh, double a cumulative condition for not being fined. One of the conditions you have to meet is prior written consents to share photographs, and the other is you have to show that you didn't have the technical savvy or the time available to black out the police's faces. Now, this is just the latest in a series of philosophical developments in the French and European judiciary, uh, which start with this idea that you have a right to privacy, and then secondly, that the state functionaries have greater rights than the rest of us. Very timely then that we've started podcasting about that in our... Uh, series, A Dissident's Guide to the Constitution, and if you go to ukcolumn.org or various podcasts, platforms, and look for that phrase, you will find that our la- latest episode is about the philosophical deceit involved in this discourse of human rights. This is the outcome.
1: Um, well, you're pre-empting us a little bit there, Alex, because we have a proper advertisement for that later on, But uh, but anyway, thank you very much for that. Uh, What's going on in Britain with the police then, Brian?
0: Well, I think we've got to follow through on on the report from Monday where we were talking about a young 19-year-old girl who was arrested for speaking out about lockdown and she was talking about the damage that lockdown was doing, particularly to the arts, the performing arts. And uh, within a few seconds, really, the police had moved in and arrested her. Uh, Now, we put part of this uh, film clip out on Twitter. I'll just uh, get it moving on screen, hopefully um but we focused in on that this one particular police individual who we thought was being particularly aggressive and uh, brutish with the crowd um in about 36 hours that's now had uh, 7,300 views um so thank you very much for the people who circulated it and of course what does it show it shows the many people in uk deeply concerned with the way police are behaving um, so what I'm going to say to our audience today, please help us circulate this uh, because it is absolutely vital that uh, people now in the UK understand uh, that if you dare to stand up to challenge the government in any way publicly, uh, then you can expect this sort of behaviour by the police. And I'm going to add that another young man was arrested on uh, Saturday as well in Truro. Um, But certainly the young girl deeply traumatised by being arrested in that manner, held in the back of a police van in a cage for several hours, and then basically put in a cell and interrogated. And uh, we we just like to make this statement because we are going to do our best to expose where the police are clearly wrong at law and in their behaviour. Um, But we also want to recognise that, of course, many policemen and women are doing a very difficult job. So this is our statement, which uh, we'd like to share with the audience. UK column wishes to make it quite clear that we fully understand that many policemen and women do a very difficult and sometimes very dangerous job in increasingly difficult and confused times. We support them in that role. Having said that, it is unacceptable for the police to be allowed to bully threaten, intimidate or harm innocent members of the public contrary to law and or to engage in criminal activity. Where this becomes apparent, it must be exposed, made public and stopped. We also recognize that the increasingly aggressive and brutal police behavior frequently resulting in death and physical injuries to the public is the result of a calculated malicious and dangerous mental reframing attack on the police themselves. As such, this also requires full public exposure to protect both the police and the public. And uh, Mike, uh, um, we obviously put consideration into what we've said here on behalf of the UK column. What what would you uh, add to this?
1: I don't think there's anything else I can add to it. Uh, I I think uh, uh, the police uh, are obliged to behave the law, uh, behave by, 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 by the law. Sorry uh, about and, that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, and uh, you know where where they where they uh, step outside of that, then then of course they're subject to the law themselves. That nobody yeah. is above the law, and uh, they
0: should be prosecuted. Uh, but that's up to the public to, to uh, make that uh, that case. Indeed, it's up to the public, but if the public don't understand what's happening, they can't see, they can't see the visual evidence, the film footage, the photographs, then of course the police can literally get away with uh, with murder. I just apologise for that interruption as I looked for, for another slide there, that was actually the uh, audio of the, the police um in action uh, at that time in Truro. So if you haven't seen what we've posted on on UK column Twitter, go and have a look at that, share the information, but also it's going to take every single um, adult man and woman in this country to stand up and challenge what's happening uh, if we're going to put a stop to it.
1: Um, Well, yesterday, uh, changing subject now, yesterday uh, Boris had an article in the Financial Times Uh, Now is the time to plan our green recovery. So uh, he is coming out from the shadows. He's uh, taking the veneer off. uh, And we now know exactly what uh, Boris is about. Uh, So in this article, he says, uh, slowly but surely humanity is taking the upper hand in the fight against the virus. Uh, We have not won yet. There are still hard weeks and months to come, but with better drugs, testing and a range of vaccines, we know in our hearts that next year we will succeed. Uh, We will use science to rout the virus and we must use the same extraordinary powers of invention to repair the economic damage from COVID-19 and to build back better. Well, just let's remind ourselves where this phrase comes from. It is from the World Economic Forum. It is from the Great Reset. Uh, and so to understand what he means by Build Back Better, we've got to understand uh, what he means, w- what the Great Reset is and what it's all about. Uh, but we don't have to worry about it, perhaps, because according to uh, The New York Times, it's a baseless conspiracy theory. Uh, and of course, this is the theme that's running running through the mainstream press uh, Altogether, so let's just uh, have a look at what Boris's Great Reset is all about. Uh, in the uh, uh, in the article, he said, "Imagine Britain when a green industrial revolution has helped to level up the country." You cook breakfast using hydrogen power before getting into your electric car, having it charged overnight from batteries made in the Midlands. Uh, Around you is the air. The air is cleaner. Trucks, trains, ships and planes run on hydrogen or synthetic fuel. That's what he's saying. So let's look at what he's talking about. Uh, Offshore wind, producing enough offshore wind uh, to power every home, quadrupling how much we produce to 40 gigawatts by 2030, supporting up to 60,000 jobs. Uh, And then hydrogen, working with industry, aiming to generate five gigawatts of low-carbon hydrogen production capacity by 2030 for industry, transport, power, and homes, and aiming to develop the first town heated entirely by hydrogen by the end of the decade. Uh, uh, He's talking about nuclear, advancing nuclear as a clean energy source across large-scale nuclear and developing uh, the next generation of small and advanced reactors, uh, which could support 10,000 jobs, could maybe, perhaps. Uh, electric vehicles. Well, of course, the headlines today are all full of the fact that uh, uh, petrol and diesel-powered cars will be uh, stop being sold from 2030 onwards uh, because we're going electric. Uh, backing our world-leading car manufacturing bases, including in the West Midlands, Northeast, and North Wales, to accelerate the transition to electric vehicles and transforming our national infrastructure to better support electric vehicles. So the problem with electric vehicles, of course. Is that the range is appalling relative to other forms of uh, energy for transport Um, so this looks a bit like really making sure that people aren't traveling in the way that they used to because the technology isn't there it isn't going to be there in the next 10 years. Uh, And of course the other thing is you can't
0: pay cash for electricity so. Uh,
1: Absolutely which we'll come on to in a second and uh, uh, public transport cycling and walking so we need to be doing much more cycling much more walking Uh, These are uh, attractive ways to travel. I'll tell you that they're not a terribly attractive way to travel in Plymouth today because it is absolutely disgusting weather. But anyway, uh, zero emission public transport of the future, Uh, jet zero and greener maritime. So they're going to support difficult to decarbonize industries to become greener through research projects for zero emission planes and ships. Uh, Then what's the next one is homes and buildings. Uh, making our homes, schools and hospitals greener, warmer and more energy efficient while creating 50,000 jobs by uh, 2030. So let me understand this, Brian. So far we've had about somewhere around 100,000 jobs in this uh, announcement. Uh, That's compared to the several million jobs that have been lost as a result of the the coronavirus epidemic, which let me just clarify has got nothing to do with coronavirus and everything to do with the policies uh, that this government chose to implement uh, under the uh, veneer of coronavirus. So a target to install 600,000 heat pumps every year by 2028. But of course, the other thing that they're doing is that they are removing uh, gas-fired boilers from new builds uh, very soon. And they also have in the in the background the suggestion that uh, gas-fired boilers will no longer be allowed in any homes by 2040. And I would imagine that'll be brought back to 2030 as well. Uh, and uh, then we've got carbon capture uh, because that uh, technology is working, isn't it? Not. Uh, it's not, it hasn't seemed to have made any progress in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, that is a pipe dream. Uh, nature, uh, this is a key one, protecting and restoring our natural environment, planting 30,000 hectares of trees every year while creating and retaining thousands of jobs. And of course, if you do that, uh, what you're doing is removing land from the ability to grow food. Uh, We'll come on to that and we'll remind you of that in one second. And finally, this is the key one, innovation and finance, developing the cutting edge technologies needed to reach these new energy ambitions and make the City of London uh, the global centre of green finance. Uh, This, of course, as we reported the other day, uh, echoed by George Eustace, Sorry, well, this is the, the agriculture one first. George Use is saying our landmark Agriculture Act will transform the way we support farmers, because they're only going to give farmers subsidies if they build those wood or they grow those woodlands and uh, create those wildflower meadows and build those footpaths. Uh, Rishi Sunak, as we highlighted the other day, saying in a statement, uh, we want to renew the UK's. What he meant is the City of London's position as the world's preeminent financial center, but it's the world's preeminent green financial center. Um, And uh, with that in mind, we've got to remember what uh, Mark Carney said. Uh, We will not get to net zero in a niche. It requires a whole of economy transition. And with that in mind, we've got to remember what the Bank for International Settlements announced last week. Uh, A group of seven central banks, together with the Bank for International Settlements, publishing a report identifying the foundational principles necessary for any publicly available central bank digital currencies to help central banks meet their public policy objectives. And they were talking about these digital currencies uh, being a new form of central bank money uh, combined with uh, a blockchain technology type thing, uh, because cash is rapidly disappearing, which is the point you were making, Brian. Cash is rapidly disappearing in those banks' jurisdictions. Uh, and well, why is it disappearing? Because that's the policy to make it disappear. So this is the Great Reset. It is being implemented as we as we watch. Uh, and uh, it is not a conspiracy theory, as the mainstream press seems to be implying.
0: No, of course not. Uh, but they've got to shout that, Mike, because it's clear that uh, more and more people are beginning to put the pieces together and see that this is real and to understand that this is a policy which is not just coming out in UK, it's coming out across Western Europe, it's coming out worldwide. Um, Should we bring Alex in here for a bit of comment on this? Who are these people? I like asking this question, Alex, because I think we can see them pretty clearly now, but every time we ask the question, somebody uh, joins us in thinking about who these people are.
2: I think what I'll do today, Brian, since we like to answer this question with different wording depending on the constellation of facts each time, is recommend that people find a transcript and an audio recording of a 1988 tape by a whistleblowing uh, doctor uh, who is reporting an unrecorded 1969 briefing uh, by an academic paediatrician in Uh, I think it was Philadelphia, called Dr. Day, uh, off the record to a bunch of doctors. And this uh, 1969 briefing doctor, Dr. Day, was a Rockefeller Foundation placeman. And he outlined exactly the last few slides by Mike. The whole of the reset people will easily find this transcript uh, if they look uh, and the underlying audio if they look for uh, the new world order of barbarians or the new barbarian order there's a particularly good fresh transcript of it uh, on the website the deliberate dumbing down of america so a web search for D D D O A a uh, new Order barbarians will find uh, the transcript. Look from pages six to page nine of the more recently done transcript, not the original old fashioned one, and you will be shocked at what he says about healthcare, uh, who will be allowed to travel, who will be allowed extra food and heating. Uh, it's come out of the tax exempt foundations. Uh, about which both houses of the US Congress uh, have done investigations through the whole 20th century. Before the First World War, the tax-exempt foundations such as Rockefeller and Ford were already, as we know from a a search of their minutes now by congressional authority, um, were already saying we need world wars, we need fewer people, we need both sexes to be in the workplace in order to bring in the new world that we envision. So, uh, tax exempt foundations is probably the best major angle down which we can look to find out who's giving orders to the central banks and the central bank of central banks, the BIS.
1: Um, and we'll we'll be looking a li- little bit more about that kind of thing uh, just shortly. Now, uh, just speaking of uh, of economy and and COVID. Uh, and the implications of Boris's New deal, uh, New Green Deal, of course. Uh, we've got this report out today, uh, Changing Gears, Understanding Downward Social Mobility. Now, social mobility, we've been we're hearing about a lot over the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, how do we make people more upwardly socially mobile? Uh, well, we're now acknowledging that uh, that has stopped and we're changing gears and we're heading back down into the gutter again. Uh, this is from the Social Mobility uh, Commission. Uh, and they're saying that uh, one in five people experience downward mobility in their lives at this point in time. This is all based on research carried out for the Commission by Ipsos Morai. Uh, and they're saying that uh, one in four, uh, one in five men and one in four women aged thirty to fifty-nine experienced downward mobility in the last several years, uh, and uh, uh, that you know, these uh, downward mobility rates for children of nurses uh, are 48% for men and 40% for women, 38% for men and 40% for women from black African backgrounds and so on. So they break it all down uh, like this. But the acknowledgement is there uh, that uh, there is uh, a process going on, which is seeing people uh, finding their standard of living falling in the long term. And this process is only being accelerated uh, by the economic impact of uh, the policies around COVID-19. Uh, but of course, Boris's Green New Deal is going to take that another step forward.
0: Yeah. Where does that take <laughs> us? Yeah, yeah nothing well, to say. We're, uh, well, we're back over to uh,
1: Alex here. Uh, Alex, uh, Portuguese Appeal Court uh, cites a Lancet study on PCR.
2: This has really got uh, a lot of excitement and attention around Europe, as well it should. um, Before I forget to show the uh, picture of the last item, by the way, if people look for that PDF, the New Order of Barbarians, put out by the United States Coalition for Life, pages six to nine of that cover exactly the medical detail of that whistleblower's tape. Now, the Portuguese have uh, the usual continental system When you appeal something, it goes to a specialist chamber of a high court. And in this case, we have four plaintiffs uh, arguing that they were unlawfully locked up by one of Portugal's regional health authorities on the strength of a PCR test. More about that anon in this report about the PCR test in general. Interestingly, philosophical and academic input into these continental high courts is very strong compared with the common law jurisdictions. And so you do get interesting revelations in them as to what academic jurists and uh, uh, sometimes there are state employees who are not actually judiciary at all uh, buried in the mix, what they're actually having to admit grudgingly about the state of the art and the state of science. In this case, they are citing uh, one of the imprints of the Lancet, the uh, respiratory health Uh, imprint and uh, a paper which I think we have details of uh, if you can put that original slide back I can remember the names uh, of it the Lancet respiratory medicine uh, in late September it came out as an opinion piece but it is of course of academic standard false positive COVID-19 results hidden problems and costs uh, by the three authors that are mentioned there Um, and that has been cited as people can see in the inset by the Portuguese well it's the Tribunal de Redação de de Lisboa so the uh, the, basically the uh, the court of second instance for Lisbon region and the Azores and uh, the key bit comes in the middle when uh, it is quite plainly stated by the appealed court judges uh, that the the doctor or habilitado so the, the the doctor is the professionally qualified person to make diagnoses these plaintiffs the court has found have been unlawfully deprived of their liberty because the Portuguese uh, legal system regulates the health system and says that the only people who make decisions about patients and their symptoms are diagnosing doctors and those doctors have in accordance with international medical practice to seek informed consent uh, at all stages possible. That has not happened when people are just swabbed and then locked up as a result of a positive PCR test. So the Lockdown Skeptics website has gone into some detail on that. Uh, people watching in high definition can freeze the screen to find this bit because it's come from their latest updates page and doesn't have a URL of its own, but people can f- search for the phrase Portuguese Appeals Court, uh, what does it say? It says uh, Portuguese deems appeals deems PCR, PCR, teams, tests, PCR tests, tests unreliable. Yeah unreliable, sorry, deems PCR tests unreliable, and people can read the write up from lockdown sceptics there. Uh, But they have given us a write up, which again, if we slowly go through these slides, people can freeze frame it and look at the uh, detailed bullet points. Uh, but uh, if you just cycle through them a few seconds at a time while I speak, um, that, those points are basically uh, the unique role of doctors, the state of the art. Uh, what is an RT-PCR test? Does it meet medical diagnostic standards uh, p- with the particular relevance to diagnosing SARS-CoV-2? And here we are. Given how much scientific doubt exists, as voiced by experts, says the courts, um, Whereas the end of the sentence, uh, there is no way this court would ever be able to determine whether C, that's one of the four locked up plaintiffs, was indeed a carrier of the virus or whether the other three plaintiffs had been at high risk of exposure to it. Um, So if you go on, uh, this has got interest in Germany as well. Uh, Here's here's the the main takeaway that lockdown sceptics have got, that for all relevant data items, a confirmed COVID-19 patient is any patient admitted to the trust, that's an NHS trust, because this is uh, an an English NHS response, who has recently, in the last 14 days, tested positive for COVID-19 following following a PCR test. Uh, So the NHS says that patients that have a a test but no diagnosis are confirmed, COVID patients. You are a confirmed COVID patient without a diagnosis. Anyone with a clinical diagnosis but no positive test is suspected. So the NHS can expect legal, medical and ethical challenges to that, I think. Germans have also picked up on this. So there's a write up, I think, on the next slide. Uh, Corona Docs, short for Corona Documents. Uh, People, again, who read German can freeze frame that and see a very good write up of the legal arguments and medical facts involved. But uh, this one is entitled in English Portuguese Appeal Court. Uh, finds PCR tests unsuitable and orders an end to quarantine, that is, of the four plaintiffs involved. I think we have one more slide in this uh, series as well. Uh, No, that's the next item, sorry, but I'll go on and say this, that uh, while we're talking about Germany, and there's a few more things to say about Germany in a moment, uh, people may have seen my coverage a couple of weeks ago of a panel called uh, Doctors for Truth meeting in Berlin. They're not all German doctors. There were some Irish, Dutch and other doctors sitting on that panel. One of the Dutch ladies there was Dr. Elke de Klerk, and the video which deserves a lot more views than it's had already is this one that we just put on screen. Dr. Elka de Klerk, Doctors for Truth, on the UNN Europe uh, channel with a sad, sadly small number of subscribers. And she talks in uh, quite some detail here about her suspicions about the PCR test. And as so many other hundreds and thousands of medical people have said, uh, when they ask questions, they're told to shut up. There's no answer forthcoming. So that, uh, that interview in English is well worth watching. Now, on to more general things about the COVID resistance or COVID scepticism in Germany. Uh, Those who uh, understand spoken German should definitely watch a two-hour video. The Germans don't do short interviews, they do thorough. So on the right-hand side of the screen, Ken FM, a kind of German equivalent of UK column in some ways, a measured alternative media site, has interviewed for a full two hours Rainer Fumich, who's the dual qualified attorney. Quite, uh, he has a California bar qualification and a German uh, attorney qualification. And he's talking in quite some detail about points we covered before. Why is there no proper law of uh, evidence on the continent? Why do you just make philosophical arguments about uh, make-believe patients rather than getting real damaged patients into the courts to give account of their symptoms? Why no class actions? Phil Miche thinks he can rectify that by taking a North American lawsuit globally against the uh, uh, pharmaceuticals who are alleged to be damaging people uh, in this regard. And on the left, of that screen, uh, just a, a, a preview there, uh, a PDF which we're going to put a full translation of on the UK con website. Uh, somebody has resigned from being a parliamentary researcher at the Bundestag, so at federal level in Germany. And Vitolesvait again, his his 24-page PDF can best be translated. How are we ever to go to go on from here? How can we recover from here? Uh, so that this is quite a lot of dissidents uh, coming in now. In uh, further uh, evidence of this. The right-hand side of the next slide shows yet another one of these German slides, uh, sites, Corona Transition or Corona Transition. A group of lawyers getting together at very high level now uh, to petition the government for uh, rect- rectification of abuses during COVID. And on the left, you can see the amount of panic there is in the mainstream media. T-Online, as well as being a mobile phone supplier pro- provider, sorry, is also a trashy mainstream news site. And here you can see. That the corona uh, virus information bus that's touring Germany with uh, opposition, or rather uh, dissident figures who call themselves Querdenker, uh, got stopped internally on the state border of Mecklenburg Vorpommern, one of the East German states, and uh, police unlawfully detained them and uh, the crew as well as the, uh, uh, the the speakers who were going around giving PA uh, meetings to people in public, and when they were let go again because of a court saying this is unlawful detention, uh, how is it written up? Pandemie Leugner Schiffmann, so Mr Schiffman, Bolo Schiffman, who organises the coach, is called a pandemic denier. In the title, so Holocaust overtones here, and lots more. If anyone can read German, they can look at that and see how many uh, ways he's maligned here. As a result of this, in fact, the Interior Ministry for that state, Mecklenburg Vorpommern, the longest serving Interior Minister of any of Germany's 16 federal states, tendered his resignation. And it was so embarrassing, he even had to come up uh, with a cover story that he'd resigned because he'd unwittingly bought a hunting gun a couple of years ago from an uh, unwittingly from a, a neo Nazi. Uh, The truth of it is, you know, he's he's the longest serving state interior minister, but he really goofed up here by giving police orders to unlawfully arrest the COVID briefing bus. Uh, More signs of uh, courts getting involved in Germany. The local.de gives an English language write-up of this. Uh, The major German city of Dusseldorf had got this uh, order that had gone out, Mund und Nase bedecken, cover your mouth and nose. And the court in question in Germany uh, has struck it out, saying that there was no proper wording. It wasn't clear to people when they had to wear a mask, where uh, where and why. Uh, And so the the, uh, City Council is going to have to think again.
0: Uh, Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, Alex, um, increasingly we've got people saying to us, give us some good news. I'm listening to what you're Uh, talking about there and it seems to me that this has got to be seen as as good news we've got professional people who have now not only put pieces of the jigsaw together they've got the professional expertise to look at the so-called scientific evidence we're being given and say no this is not correct And they are standing up and starting to do something about it. So to me, this is absolutely good news. But of course, what it requires is thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people to now come in and support uh, people who are scientifically and professionally qualified to challenge uh, the lies and propaganda that we've got coming out from the states. By that, I mean the heads of state in Western Europe.
2: Totally agree. Uh, not, not forgetting another leading country in Western Europe in this regard is Denmark, which, like so many others, tried to bring in a totalitarian law, uh, as with the Icelandic uh, protests against the banks that had bankrupted the state in 2008. Um, which landed in the writing of a new constitution for Iceland, the Danes had the gumption to bang pots and pans outside their parliament in in dreary weather for a couple of weeks. And as a result, the uh, uh, Epidémileuvre, as it was called, the epidemic law, which would have directed the health authorities to draw up lists of people who needed compulsory inoculations, uh, was overturned and uh, it was just abandoned in one afternoon. The Danes were very emotional about this degree of success. Gemma O'Doherty's picked up on it and said, why can't we have that amount of guts to stand outside our parliaments for a couple of weeks? Yes, police do hassle us, but it's the only way to tell legislators how strongly we feel about things. Uh, and the, the signal thing is in many of these uh, Germanic countries, Denmark being one, the health authority, sorry, the, the, the doctors associations are against uh, what legislators and health authorities have in mind and the the uh, danish equivalent of the uh, royal college of uh, general practitioners so the doctors uh, trade union uh, said it did not want this degree of power to go to health authorities who are after all uh, state employees yeah
0: um, thanks very much for that, Alex. Well, let's just focus back in again about how this, I'm going to use the word propaganda because I feel very comfortable using it now, the propaganda around COVID is, is being spread. Um, just over a week ago, very brave uh, um, NHS care assistant Shelley uh, resigned publicly and exposed the fact that it was quite clear that there wasn't a crisis in NHS hospitals in Cornwall. We've been given some more information uh, from another Uh, source. Let's have a look at what we understand. So we understand today that Royal Cornwalls Hospital NHS Trust staff have now been told that they need to wear face masks if they're sharing a room with a colleague, even offices in buildings not within the hospital itself. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yes. And uh, if we have a little bit of an investigation into this, let's see what we can tell our audience today. Uh, So we've got this. Uh, Social distance. So so the hospital basically is looking into all these areas or has come out with a new rule in these areas. Social distancing and the new mask requirements. Well, we've kicked off with that. Working from home. So they're still pushing for people to be uh, working from home. There's an extra call for contact tracing volunteers and redeployment. Um, There's extra news on meetings and team huddles. This childish language coming in again, Mike, which I think is is very significant. Communal space hygiene they're looking at, but also we're ceasing face-to-face outpatient appointments. So here's the withdrawal of NHS care. So this is gonna result in more deaths. Uh, Inpatient swab testing on day three and day five. Uh, COVID vaccine, the national program. I haven't got the information yet. I'm waiting for a uh, very kind gentleman up north who's going to send me some information on this. Uh, but we understand that they're getting very excited in, in Royal Cornwall Hospitals NHS Trust about how they can help the uh, COVID vaccine rollout. And then there's something about new con- uh, contact number for SURF. I should have checked SURF. I don't know what that is yet, but if anybody can tell us in the chat box, that would be helpful.
1: Um, just correct me if I'm wrong, this is Royal Cornwall Hospitals. Yes. Uh, and one of the items in the middle there is about communal space hygiene. Surely hygiene in a hospital, there's no. There's nothing more to be said about that. Surely it is already absolutely tip top.
0: Uh, well... I'm going to say who knows Mike because of course uh, originally we had our hospitals properly disinfected we then under European legislation said that we can't use proper disinfectants and uh, as a result we had the sudden increase in bacterial infections we then had all all manner of of hand creams and ointments and lotions um but really all that did is help spread things around so who knows what's going on in the hospital and let's come back to information because we're also given this uh, i've put it as if kate shields the uh, chief executive is saying this well it's come from their documentation which would be her documentation so we've put her, her picture on the screen um, but their documentation said that the statistics show that from midnight on the 16th of, um, uh, sorry, on the, uh, on the, sorry, the 16th of the first, 2020, we had a total of five current inpatients. So we're back on these very I think low that must f- be the 11th, Brian. Sorry, the 11th. I'm looking at that. I'm thinking something's wrong. That should be the 11th, 16th, the 11th. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we've got a total of five current inpatients. Um, so we're we're on these ridiculously low low numbers, and, and Alex, just to pick up on you, you were you were talking about this business that um, uh, tests but no diagnosis. So here we've got confirmed COVID nineteen positive, um, but what does that mean? That we've got somebody who's in who's tested positive, but actually that's not the result. Mm. That's not the cause of their physical um, condition, Um, a total of 77 patients have died and 169 patients have been discharged. And then a total of 14 staff are away from work with symptoms. Well, this is not a disaster for the NHS in any shape or form. And I'm just gonna remind people, of course, that we've got the whole of Cornwall locked down in their homes, banned from traveling unless it's supposedly essential. Uh, because of these tiny figures now if we dig into this what do we start to find well the key to this was to go to look to the very things that Kate Shields was involved in and what she was saying and the first thing we found is the NHS confederation and here was the headline NHS reset exploding the myths of health and care And and, uh, there was an added logo, which I'm just going to emphasize on the screen. So at the beginning of the news today, we're picking up on the fact that the government and other agencies would have us believe that if you talk about reset, this is a theory. No, 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 it's not only real in a wider economic sense, we've got it happening within the NHS. And if I highlight this box, it says NHS reset is a new NHS uh, confederation campaign to contribute to the public debate on what the health and care system should look like in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic. Right, so but, so this is
1: very interesting because the term reset from it, when the uh, World Economic Forum uh, talks about it is how the economy is going to look after the COVID-19 pandemic yeah. and so again we have the same term being used to discuss certain set of events after the COVID-19 yeah. pandemic but so, how did
0: she know that because we don't know it because we're told we don't even know whether we can deal with COVID and and maybe we'll have a, a vaccination that possibly might be able to deal with COVID that's what the public's being led to believe yeah. while these people are planning for what they're going to do after COVID. So somebody somewhere is following a pre-planned political agenda, which works on the basis that the public are going to be spun a lie over COVID. Let's look at a bit of detail here. So I've just brought this out on the screen. Much of the transformation of the NHS achieved in our response to the COVID-19 crisis in Cornwall has been outside of hospital and instead in and around where people live care homes are now part of daily discussions at system level but we know that thousands tens of thousands of people have died Mm. in care homes but they've been watching it not doing anything but presumably it's fine because it's part of their agenda to reset the um the nhs good question to ask yeah Uh, Although we've always aspired to an inclusive approach, the crisis made clear that our previous efforts to connect together with social care colleagues were simply not enough. Made-up rules seemingly made it impossible. For now, those rules have gone, and we're seeing amazing transformation as a result. So this is, uh, rules are in place, but we're leaders, we're future leaders. We don't have to follow these rules. We can make our own rules up, And it goes on, the whole COVID-19 period has exploded so many myths that any thought of a return to our previous imperfect incarnation is unpalatable. And there is commitment from leaders across the system to protect some of the gains that have been achieved. And before we get some uh, debate about this, the crisis has helped us to understand some of the factors that previously held us back and get to the heart of some of the caution that had stifled change under normal circumstances. We're seeing fantastic results and the models we are developing are much more clearly linked to the needs of the population that we serve rather than the demands of individual organization professional silos. Do you recognize the language? That's very common purpose. Very, very common purpose. So she is uh, clearly showing here that the COVID-19 crisis is recognized by her and her colleagues as a beautiful opportunity it's a catalyst for major political social and economic change but it's all predicated by inflation of the public fear over a false covid pandemic and of course executed under the smokescreen of media propaganda and lockdown so who's us and very quickly alex i'm just going to throw you back we're picking up that this lady is using common purpose language i think she's common purpose trained i don't know whether that's the case but she's certainly using this common purpose elitist language future leaders who are going to change us and our society whether we want it or not
2: Rudyard Kipling's poem uh, about the six honest serving men that taught him all he knew should well uh, be borne in mind here. Change and leaders. Okay, change. Someone is going to change someone from state A, which needs to be defined, what states, to state B, which needs to be defined. How are they going to do so? When are they going to do so? Where are they going to do so? Why are they going to do so? And on what authority? Uh, The same with leaders. Who is going to lead whom to do what? Why? And when and where is that going to happen? Uh, uh, The most shocking word in what you've just read out from Kate Shields is incarnation. I know that people use it as a fancy alternative for mode or or state sometimes. But an incarnation, uh, as a word, means a spirit coming into the world and taking on fleshly form.
0: Yeah. Uh, We can have further uh, debate about that, Alex, but uh, well done for picking that up. I also saw that word and I felt very uncomfortable as to what was really inside this lady and indeed inside her mind. But we followed this little bit of investigation through. So let's have a look at NHS Reset. And this is um, how it was being sold alongside the article that the chief executive had written. Uh, So it was pointing at all these other articles. NHS reset, the future of the health service. It may need to be radical, but it also needs to be right. NHS reset, what we've learned about hospital discharge amid the COVID-19 pandemic. NHS reset, the future of clinical commissioning and resetting the NHS. Uh, Time to be radical. Um, That's a bit Saul Alinsky-ish, isn't it, Mike? Uh, NHS reset, health and social care are undeniably intertwined if one fails, the other fails. NHS reset, will COVID-19 be remembered as the catalyst uh, for system working, an advantageous and what a coincidence type catalyst. So where did that lead? Well, this lot leads to this. Um, we're not interested in thousands of people dying as a result of COVID lockdown measures. Uh, the NHS has got time for a conference on the 29th, uh, 24th of November, having problem with my, my numbers today, uh, Tuesday, the 24th of November there. Uh, we've got a reset conference. And I'm just going to reminds people that the NHS and Cornwall's NHS is saying that the NHS is at crisis point, it's unable to cope, it's got bursting wards, A and E are at breakdown, the staff are sick and under uh, pressure, they're having mental health problems, outpatients cancelled, thousands of COVID-19 deaths from lack of basic NHS care, Um, but they've got time for a conference on the reset. And I'm going to suggest the reason that they've got time for that conference is because this is approved central government policy and that chief executive is simply another puppet who will do anything to follow her masters, never mind what the truth is.
1: Uh, now, if you like what the UK Column does and you'd like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. Um, and well, I got a bit of communication uh, there to ago, Brian. Um, from this gentleman, Councillor Alan Hickman, uh, who's the leader of Skipton Town Council. Uh, now, he was in the papers uh, recently because, um, well, some diamonds disappeared from uh, the uh, Merrill, uh, because he was mayor for a year. Some diamonds disappeared from the Merrill chains uh, while it was in his possession. Uh, they they were lost, apparently. But anyway, this is what he had uh, to say to us. I've discovered laminated stickers on posts around Skipton. You have neither asked nor received Permission to display these so these were clearly UK column laminated stickers uh, And uh, he went on to say to do so is totally out of order Please ask the perpetrators to remove them forthwith and to desist from further unauthorized displays um, So Brian, you know, I think we we absolutely have to say that, uh, you know The people that that did this should be ashamed of themselves and, and really we have to discourage this kind of well, activity we, from now
0: on we just couldn't condone anybody who felt it necessary to put UK column stickers out in order to inform people about the UK column. That would be a, an appalling thing to do. But perhaps we could ask this councillor whether he could actually provide some physical evidence. He's told us this. Did he provide physical no, evidence? No, he didn't.
1: I thought at the very least he could do was send me a photograph, right, but so, sadly not. But just
0: to be sure, yeah, quite disgraceful that anybody should be spreading a UK column around the country and we couldn't condone that at all.
1: No, indeed. No, that, uh, from that note, uh, a pretty uh, grim note, uh, Brian. Uh, This uh, from North Wales Live. Now, this was related to the case that we were talking
0: about on Monday's programme, I think. With Wilfred Wong. Yes. And uh, so the uh, report that was covered mainly in local papers but didn't really get that much coverage in the mainstream news was that six individuals, including um, uh, child uh, protection campaigner Wilfred Wong, had been arrested with a child in a car and the headline was kidnap. Now, we pointed out that we were uh, very confident that actually the mother uh, was one of the named people. Um, So was this kidnap or was something else going on? Was possibly there an attempt to protect a child going on? Nevertheless, the headline was kidnapped, and the latest headline is now saying that one of the people involved in that incident, uh, a mental health nurse, I think is a male, uh, mental health nurse or or a, a nurse at least has been found dead in prison.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's Robert Frith, 65 from Tyne Park, Hollyhead. It's according to this article in uh, North Wales Live. The headline is, man charged in connection with alleged Anglesey child kidnap, uh, kidnapping dies in prison. Uh, there's no information about what happened to him. Um, it's, it just says that it has been referred to the uh, Prisons and Probation Ombudsman um, and uh, so, and then it goes on to describe uh, the people that were involved and uh, at least the information that uh, is being publicly, publicly disseminated on this. Um, so uh, what so one member of that group of six uh, has died under, well, what kind of circumstances? We have no way of knowing at this well, point. We don't
0: know, but I think we're allowed to say that um, one of our uh, concerns is that if we are correct, that there was some form of uh, effort to protect a child going on here, albeit uh, we might say that the, measure that the measures that were taken at the time seem perhaps inappropriate, uh, but if there was an attempt to protect a child, uh, but it's been reporting reported as kidnapping of a child, then of course it's possible that any one of the, the people named in the mainstream media could have been attacked in prison on the basis they were attempting to abduct and abuse a child, when it could be the case that the opposite was true. Mm. And what makes us very suspicious is the style of reporting in the uh, mainstream media. Uh, We had a photograph of one of the accused, which was Wilfred Wong himself, who was shown with uh, quite large chains uh, hanging off his uh, wrists. Uh, Seemed to be a very um, interesting photograph. Um, But clearly, we know that across the country, there have been many cases where mothers have attempted to protect their child from abuse, only then to be given um, a very rough ride by the state accused of being mentally ill. And of course, if they continue to try and speak out, they're eventually put in prison or a psychiatric unit. Um, Alex, um, I'd encourage our our audience to look at uh, David Scott's interviews with Samantha Baldwin. Uh, to get some feel for how brutal the British state is when it wants to um, uh, cover up people who are asking awkward questions about child protection issues.
2: Well, we have covered several such cases from different parts of the British Isles and uh, most recently and most completely, David, on his Northern Exposure YouTube channel, has done a five-parter with Samantha Baldwin. The same script as Doherty in Scotland, the same script as Hampstead in London Um, and in in many cases there's a foreign parent involved as in this uh, latest Anglesey case. Um, Usually the mother uh, says help, my uh, ex is abusing the the boys. Family court and police take no notice uh, of medical uh, reports saying there's evidence of long-term abuse here and house the boys, uh, often it's boys, back with the father. Incidentally, uh, in the midst of this minefield, I am due on with Sonia Poulton, with her new format, a very heavily centred one it seems, uh, by the authorities, called the Raw Report, and so uh, I should be on uh, that, which is on brand new tube on Friday evening. No doubt Sonia and I will both be treading very carefully in this legal and ethical minefield, Uh, But I think, well, certainly I can't speak for Sonia, but I can speak for others, including, uh, I think her name is uh, Angela Power Disney in Ireland, who's a very sensible voice on these things too, who has concluded that Wilfred Wong went into this with no malice from all the available evidence behind the scenes. We also have channels to those in uh, Germany who knew the mother. Uh, It's a very difficult area to talk in any more detail without fouling up um, the, the case. Uh, but, you know, we, we see that there are very strongly convicted people on the other side who think, well, there's a pool of committed Christians involved here. Have they let their religion run away with them? That's a common thread among the sceptics. And I would say gently but firmly that the sceptics, including survivors of horrible abuse themselves, haven't really considered this in enough detail, uh, particularly the question of why was the car lifted in Milton Keynes it was at a service station uh, on its way to the continent it was not in the city of Milton Keynes so ideas that it was on its way to a nest of abusers in the city of Milton Keynes i know there are some i lived i grew up near there and i know the reputation those are wrong headed
0: OK, Alex, uh, difficult subject to cover, as you've said, um, but uh, we'll continue to try and do our best to protect children. Um, OK, now, uh, uh,
1: Alex gave the giveaway earlier, which is very good, but we'll just repeat it. This is Guide to the Constitution. Uh, episode three is uh, available on the UK column website and on various podcasting uh, platforms, inc- including uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, and uh, well, we're talking about rights, Alex. Uh, but uh, just sticking with the issue of the Constitution, then, um, we've got a House of Lords committee uh, asking for evidence.
2: And you've got until midnight British time to talk uh, to this. Well, apparently they've been replaced by a cartoon. You've got a, a dark-skinned man cartoon and a light-skinned woman cartoon, very politically correct. Those are supposed to represent the idea of parliamentary committees to us now. Don't forget committees, especially Parliament in general, but especially committees are not the government. They are the people. Don't forget that. So this is supposedly people uh, working for us, not for the state. They want to know what constitutional effects the uh, Covid crisis of 2020 uh, has uh, has has had. Uh, they has a, a bunch of questions about the use of emergency powers, a bunch of questions about criminalisation, which is the theme of the coming segment. Uh, one about devolved and local government, which is a theme we uh, broached in our rights episode of the Constitution podcast. Mike, and a bunch of questions about parliamentary scrutiny. So, any well-informed UK view, viewer, UK column viewer or listener, who's got time this afternoon or this evening to submit to that page, I would very much suggest that you do now uh, the next issue is that of criminalization making criminal law out of nothing we'll get in the podcast series at some point to this question of what is criminal law uh, in a nutshell it's the government saying you sinned against all of us so uh, the person harmed by your behavior can't sue you uh, or prosecute you will do it on their behalf because you sinned against society as a whole questionable qu- concepts in there quite new concepts historically speaking here is a, a Wigan gym owner Uh, who is at uh, many, I think he's been uploaded to many places, but if you look for the video, Jim owner serves affidavit on Wigan Wigan Council over COVID-19 lockdown on the channel UK News in Pictures, if you open the transcript, this is a hint to people who want to get the guts out of videos, Quickly, if you if you hit the button below the video of three buttons, three dots in a row, or if you're on a mobile device, it's at the top corner. Uh, that will open a transcript, and you can then search that with Control F. And it's quite accurately auto-transcribed from English these days. And you can see that in the middle of that, around the minute uh, three. Uh, He's asking the attending police officers, far too many of them for the job of course, as usual it's intimidation, he's saying, ah police are here, am I accused of criminal activity? And they answer with knee-jerk, yes, because of course they know that if you can say this is a civil matter then they've got no standing to be there. Well he says, no it's not a criminal matter because I haven't harmed anyone and I'm not in immediate danger of harming a person or their property. Uh, So that's the old-fashioned definition of what makes something criminal, but it's being twisted. So, if we go on, we can see uh, some more outworkings of this. Not everyone's cup of tea, these people, I will admit. Patriotic alternative. Uh, although, you know, you, you need to listen, I think, to their message in many cases. On Mark Collett's channel, uh, look at the recent video Arrested for Delivering Leaflets, where he's on with Laura Towler. A 16-year-old in, uh, I think it's Surrey, uh, just south of London, has been uh, arrested. There's the police propaganda tweet on the right-hand side from uh, Inspector Darren Taylor saying, wanted, who is this male who's leafleting? It turns out he's putting statistics Uh, from quoted in mainstream newspapers about demographic change in Britain and the the rate of it through people's letterboxes and the police have as often in in, the same thing happened in Scotland with the the pug Nazi salute trial Uh, police then went trawling for complaints so that they could take action in this case the statute involved that uh, the uh, 16 year old is allegedly being prosecuted under is the malicious communications act 1988 which is an anti-stalker Uh, piece of legislation. So apparently if you put handbills out now or put put a a leaflet through people's letterbox with statistics they don't like, even if they've been in the press, uh, you can now have criminal prosecution against you. So further ideas of fear, distress, alarm, you know, prosecuting on behalf of emotions, imagined emotions in imagined people often uh, are coming to the fore. Uh, Civil conduct is being criminalised. Over in the United States, as we've seen happening in Scotland and in England, now uh, we've got the governor of New York, Cuomo, uh, talk sorry, uh, but not the governor of the state, but the chief administrative judge in the in the state, shutting down state jury trials and grand juries, America being the last country in the world to operate them properly, uh, because of COVID, don't you know, and moving possibly to Zoom and Skype justice with all the attendant problems of suppression of evidence and uh, lack of safeguards that that would involve. So a worldwide movement there I think the next slide we, is one we already covered about Denmark, so I'll just uh, leave that on screen briefly. This is the uh, uh, the success of uh, uh, of Denmark. Uh, but on the left, do look up this lady, the Corona uh, uh, Cure. I think her name is, who is quite rightly emotional. And on the right, Gemma O'Doherty talking about the uh, the results. You know, people often ask us why do we go on about constitutions so much. Well, it really does matter, including foreign constitutions. Uh, if you get uh, a proper judge, even in a civil law jurisdiction like Portugal, they can do what the Portuguese High Court seems to have done now, uh, by some readings anyway, and declared all quarantine measures illegal in the COVID crisis. Uh, on the other hand, France is a total mess, but we probably won't get to that uh, right now, but the uh, the French assembly, Assemblée Nationale, I'll just leave that on screen, people can look at it. There's proposal 3475 to amend the Constitution to put the public interest above religious uh, objections or philosophical objections to uh, to vaccination. Oh. So again, uh, we've seen that the the constitution is being got at because it's inconvenient uh, for New World Order plans for constitutions to be in place.
1: Um, right. Okay. Well, change the subject again, Alex. Just uh, we're coming to the end of the program, but just briefly. Then uh, uh, I did see this uh, that uh, Emmanuel Macron has uh, reinvigorated the calls for uh, a European Defence Union. Uh, so Reuters here reporting uh, Europe needs its own sovereignty in defence even with new U.S. government. Um, and uh, one of the things that, that uh, on the right-hand side of that graphic there, you've put out defense news headline saying Sudan to host Russian military base. And one of, the, one of the reasons I think it's so important for people to get to grips with what the Europea- European Defense Union is, it is the point that we've been making for quite some time, that of course the EU sees itself as operating in certain parts of the world where NATO perhaps doesn't uh, and this is certainly what was expressed by Ursula von der Leyen at the uh, Munich S- Security Conference at the beginning of 2019. Um, and the Sahel really is becoming uh, the uh, hotbed of great power competition, as the uh, the elites like to call it. Uh, so we've got the EU, we've got Russia, we've got China, uh, we've got the United States wanting to get involved, uh, and the UK uh, and NATO, in fact, now talking about it, even though Ursula didn't see that, that as being a, a, NATO, a place for NATO operations. So, uh, I mean, how do you see this developing then?
2: Well, I think that the French are driving this now, and uh, there are various reports of varying degrees of, of substance that Macron has, you know, been accepted in the uh, club of people who matter as the leader of European Defence Union. Certainly, that's the way he is being analysed in. Uh, Western Asia. We've just seen the sudden end of the Nagorno Karabakh war, forthcoming podcast on that with a deep expert. But uh, in setting up a discussion with that expert and talking to him, one of the things I was struck by. Is that the Armenians have said? Well, this is it. The French have triumphed, and they they now rule Europe militarily. The British have been sidelined. The British are analysed as Turkish allies in that in that Karabakh war context. The French, of course, as the allies of the nominally Christian people in the region, the Armenians and the Lebanese Christians. This is you know very very significant, and it's not happening in a vacuum because everyone in the region is saying, well, if Biden gets the presidency, you'll be you'll go back to uh, expansionism, uh, the use of debt to drive wars in the Middle East. That time when President Trump's hastily appointed interim uh, defense secretary is pulling out almost entirely from Iraq, Afghanistan, and notoriously here, notably here, Somalia. So uh, with Somalia uh, losing its US troop presence, uh, Djibouti having a Chinese one, and Sudan on its coast, Red Sea coast now also having a Russian base, it's pretty obvious what's going on, adding to the mix David Dubine's uh, continual analysis on AV uh, channels and others about the breadbasket of the world flipping to North Africa. It seems that uh, China, Russia, and a French-led European Defense Union, possibly with the Brits in tow as subordinate partners, are going to be duking it out for North Africa.
1: Uh, that's increasingly how it's beginning to look, and uh, yeah. we'll just we'll just end, Alex, briefly on this one. Then, uh, a second-class liberty.
2: So the Huffington Post has got an incredibly biased uh, report on one of the U.S. Supreme Court justices. At the moment, of course, they've still got the proper number, but the Democrats might pack the court if they get the chance. Samuel Alito is saying that uh, there is every risk now that religious liberties are going to take uh, second priority and not be regarded as sacrosanct. And on the right, a Strasbourg-based lobby group of very high quality, the ECLJ, European Centre for Law and Justice, has a map on screen Of where the most stringent bans on gathering for worship are. Look, Britain, at least England and Wales and Ireland, uh, the Republic of Ireland that is, are in the same high category, uh, worst category as France, Switzerland and by some measures Slovenia uh, as uh, totally banning services. Scotland, Northern Ireland but even Germany haven't gone as far as that. Uh, And at the bottom of that uh, assessment, the ECLJ says that most of the American states are in the middle category of making it pretty difficult to meet for worship. Uh, Mm -hmm. So both sides of the Atlantic, we're seeing now uh, that the the generation of legal thinkers who said that uh, religious and other expressive rights are first and foremost and untouchable is dying out by design, I think, by stuffing of the judiciary and public bodies.
0: Yeah. Uh, Speechless, really. (laughs) Uh, it's all becoming a little bit too clear, Alex, I think is, uh, is how we have to leave it. Yes. OK, Alex, thank you very much for joining us. I'll just end by saying that uh, the report there on Devon and Cornwall um, Hospitals NHS Trust, we, we were saying, was that correct date? It should have been the 16th of uh, Uh, November. So I've Mm. checked that. That was just, we were missing a digit on the slide. Apologies about that. And uh, just to reiterate, we we will probably be very upset if people were distributing stickers to do with the UK column around the country. It's very naughty. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.